This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Or as I should say for one of our Dublin listeners, Tony Allwright, who got this whole date stamp thing going. Uh, March 17th, 2023. It's a little later than usual this side of the pond. 4 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 5 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes. Half past five in Newfoundland, but beyond the Americas. All is normal. It's 8pm in both Dublin and Belfast, by order of the European Commission, presumably. 9pm in Paris, 10pm in Kiev. I was better last week, wasn't I? Can't get anywhere near it this week. 10pm in Kiev, the 11th hour in Moscow, the 11th hour and a half in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran... Uh, for the half-hour time zone, 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you hot ayatollahs who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers, 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland, and a post-Patrick's Day lunchtime in His Majesty's Dominions Beyond across the Pacific. And wherever you are... On this turbulent earth, this is Mark Stein back with you for the next 60 minutes or so uh, for another Clubland Q&A on this St. Patrick's Day. Uh, We had quite a strong Irish contingent on previous Mark Stein cruises, and I hope we will again on this summer's uh, in the Adriatic. I think it's in July, Um, unless the captain is on one almighty bender. We won't be anywhere near the Emerald Isle, but we are putting in at Montenegro which I like to think of as the island of the Balkans, and I hope you'll consider joining us. More details at MarkSteinCruise.com. This week, I did three telly shows and a bit of top and tailing for a fourth telly show, so we're ramping up the production schedule, but cautiously, because I'm still suffering terribly from exhaustion, and as you can probably hear, shortness of breath, and I don't want to restart and then have to go away again. But I will note that since I came back, we've already done uh, 20 shows. 20 shows. I'm back in biz. Uh, I'm going to try to make it through the full hour. And as I always say, I'm still totally committed to staying alive long enough to be buried at sea on the Mark Stein cruise. That is my personal guarantee to you. What's happening? Well, <laughs> The International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin. He is wanted for war crimes. In other legal news, Hunter Biden is suing that Delaware computer repair shop for invasion of privacy and unlawful distribution of his personal data. Uh, But wait, I'm so confused. Didn't 157 big shots from America's, quote, intelligence community, tell us that that laptop was Russian disinformation? Uh, Shouldn't Hunter be suing Vladimir Putin? Uh, And uh, one more. What should be bigger than either of those stories? Andrew Bridge, an MP, gave a speech to the House of Commons at Westminster on the victims of the COVID vaccines. There were present in the chamber just seven 
members. Just seven members. That's why uh, I partly why I took up the cause of those who were bereaved and crippled by these vaccines. And that's why I have no choice, speaking of legal news, but to sue Ofcom over their decision about one of my very first shows on the efficacy of these victims of these vaccines. Um, so uh, I'm going to be going into court. Uh, uh, I don't. I'm, I'm a bit. I've lost a bit of touch with the English legal system because Tony Blair did a little bit of tinkering with it. But I think we'll be in some or other branch of the English High Court in the Royal Courts of Justice in the Strand. If you want to come along. And uh, and see it. <clears throat> um, OK, uh, let's get to your questions. You know how this works. Any one of the eight billion people on this planet is free to listen to this show. And we hope at least six and a half billion of you will. You only need to be a Mark Sign Club member to ask me a question. And we have had a good crop of new members this week. So I hope a few of you will want to go ahead and throw me a head scratcher. Let's get to it. Frank Gallenstein or possibly Gallenstein says... Hi, Mark. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Let's get the St. Patrick's Day greetings out of the way first here. Uh, My wife and I, with some friends, made our first trip to Ireland in 1998 on the arriving flight. I was able to listen to the album Long Journey Home, Compliments of Aer Lingus. The album was based on a PBS documentary titled The Irish in America. Do you know of it? I listened to it over and over again during the flight. It made my anticipation of our arrival all the greater. What a great vacation it was. Uh, Although my namesake is German, if one can believe the likes of Ancestry.com, a good portion of my ancestry comes from Ulster, as does my wife, says Frank Gallenstein or Gallenstein. Well, actually, if you, Gallenstein is uh, is a real authentic Ulster name. I think it's, am I right? It's either County Fermanagh or, uh, or County Down. I'm not quite sure. Um, uh, do I know that album? I must, because there was a time when I used to take Aer Lingus a lot. And I, I'll tell you why I stopped. It was uh, twenty, the summer of 2020, basically my first long-haul flight since the whole bloody COVID thing. And uh, I, 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 I took Aer Lingus to get me over to Europe. And uh, once I was on that side, uh, I, I was there for a while and I realized I had to... Uh, change my return flight and I wanted to change my return flight and the change fee this was in those wacky COVID days the plane was empty and the airport was empty it was all empty it was horrible actually um, but the, the they wanted to charge me I think it was four I can't remember now whether it was four thousand dollars or four thousand euros or four thousand pounds doesn't really matter when that's the change fee. It doesn't matter what currency it's in. It's too much. So I was all annoyed with um, Aer Lingus and I haven't flown with them since. I think they've actually I think they've actually uh, refunded my return flight because I never took a return. I think I've came back on air, whatever it was. Anyway, that, uh, that seems a bit excessive for a change fee. Uh, but I miss Erlingers. Always used to like it. Uh, Julie McCarthy says, "Happy St. Patrick's Day, Mark." From this County Limerick person, not far from the London Hospital, now a hideous monstrosity. Surprise! Oh, don't say things like that. Uh, I must have said this before, but I, when I many many years ago, I used to date a nurse from the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel. They had the most fabulous. They were like they had the all time greatest nurses uniform. They were purple with these white puffs. I don't even want to know what they they're going around dressed like janitors now. The nurses at the Royal London. They had the most fabulous. If you if you've ever had a kind of doctors and nurses uh, fetish, you should have dated a nurse from the Royal London Hospital in the good old days. I don't I I doubt very much doubt it's the same now. Uh, and the hospital was fantastic. It, it was all still that part of Whitechapel was all still very Jack the Ripperish. Uh, I I know I've mentioned this before because I used to drink in the Blind Beggar where. Uh, 
There were all kinds of Cray twins shootouts that had gone on there. Anyway, Julie continues. I'm waxing very sentimental now. Julie continues, wishing you all the old best from me and from the Canada-ish nearest and dearest. Thank you also for playing Frozen Orange Juice for me on your request show in the middle of the COVID. Yeah, Peter Sarr said, I'll buy you one more frozen orange juice. If you like Peter Sarr, said Julie, uh, check out our audio song of the week about where do you go to my lovely you can find that on the audio drop down menu under mark's music and we hope you enjoy it uh Elisa angel or ankle writes happy st patrick's day i hope we find the leprechaun's pot of gold at the end of the rainbow speaking of pots of gold who do we have to know to get our failed banks failed wars and other general failures bailed out by the u.s taxpayers mark would you talk about the silicon valley bank's failure and how a small bank or two in the grand scheme considering City, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America are much bigger players, can turn the markets on its head on its head, and get special treatment and help from government officials. Well, Silicon Valley Bank, <clears throat> uh, the failure of Sil- Silicon Valley Bank, which uh, I don't think I'd ever heard of till it started to fail, Uh, But it is, in fact, the biggest bank failure since 2008. So that's now 15 years. Uh, And it is, in fact, the second biggest bank failure of all time in America. And I I saw somewhere that, uh, what is it, more than half uh, a trillion uh, dollars has been taken out of banks in the last week. Uh, so they're trying they're trying not to have a run on the banks. Good luck with that. But there's I think there's a very simple reason as to why Silicon Valley Bank uh, got bailed out, got a customized bailout. It has a lot of Chinese customers. It has so many Chinese customers banking at Silicon Valley Bank that I wouldn't be surprised if Hunter Biden sits on the board of three or four of them. Because that's how popular that bank is with the Chinese. Uh, And uh, that is uh, why they're getting their special. Look, I'll come um, I'll come back. uh, Well, maybe I'll save this for because we're going to be talking about it on the Mark Stein show in the week ahead. Things are very bad in the United States. The question you have to ask yourself is what is holding up the United States? What is holding up the dollar, which is, has the immense advantage of being the global reserve currency, which nobody would make it today? So generally speaking, when there is a global reserve currency, its end seems to come round about the time you would expect it to end. For example, um, the, uh, with, with sterling, which preceded uh, the... Uh, dollar as the global reserve currency. It was made the global reserve currency at Bretton Woods after the Second World War, the dollar. It's really, it shouldn't be the, have been the reserve currency for the last couple of decades. It's, a, it's not a, and so the fact that it's not, it shouldn't be the reserve currency, but is the reserve currency, enables the United States to carry on um, as a uh, as the dominant hyperpower, even though, as I said, there's not a lot holding up the United States dollar. Uh, well, we'll come back to that maybe a bit later, and uh, we'll certainly be talking about it uh, this coming week on the Mark Sign Show. Mary Bindus writes, Hi, Mark. So happy to see you healthy again, enough so as to entertain the rest of us into laughing at the lunacy out there. I wouldn't say I was that healthy, actually. Um, But uh, Mary continues, here is my quandary and then a follow-up question. I was listening to part of a Putin speech from a few weeks ago. Oh, my, that's the sort of thing that can get you uh, a visit from the feds, Mary, if they find out you've been 
listening to Putin's speeches, if they're monitoring you as you listen to them. Putin, says Mary, mentioned the Kiev regime. It sounds like the Russian pronunciation of Kiev is Kiev also. So if the Russian pronunciation is the same as the Ukrainian, shouldn't we just go back to the English pronunciation and tell the mainstream media to go to heel? Heel! Yeah, yeah. Kiev, Kiev. It's Kiev in Ukrainian. It's Kiev in Russian. So what's the big deal about it being Kiev in English? On a more serious note, I believe this was also the speech where he chided the West for the adoption of a general gender neutral God by the Anglican Church. Perhaps a bit of yin-yang creeping into the church, my opinion. Did I get this right? I'd like to hear your opinion. Forgive me if this is hurtful. Yeah, it is hurtful. I'm, I'm a high Anglican, basically, and I love the high Anglican hymns, and I love the book of common prayer. And as you know, our Christmas Eve service, which has become an annual tradition of Lessons and Carols, that's also very Anglican. But but I cannot take these archbishops... Well, uh, I should clarify, if we're speaking of the Church of England, that's one thing. If we're speaking of the Anglican communion, I can't take the bishops from the Church of England, the American Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church of Canada, the Anglican Church of Australia. I can't take them seriously. If there's a future for the Anglican Church, it's going to be the fellows in Africa who are strong in faith and don't uh, see every modish provocation as a reason to fall into a huge cringe before surrendering to them. Uh, it's terribly depressing, that. Michael Andrew. Oh, here we go. Another. Hi, Mark. In your opinion, is the moronic U.S. Treasury policy guaranteeing all uninsured bank deposits designed specifically to keep Chinese Communist Party money from fleeing the country? Well, as a, it, it is a... Uh, a rather odd pot. They've opened a new branch of, I forget what it's called, uh, the, uh, the, a new branch of the, it's, it's called Uninsured Bank Deposits of Santa Clara or something, which is where this Silicon Valley bank is. And as I said, it has a lot of Chinese money in there, which means that a lot of the people who are giving 10% to the big guy via Hunter Biden and Jim Biden to Joe Biden are concerned about their money. And so I can well believe uh, that's why the policy has been enunciated as such. But I will say this, it's bigger than just, as I said a moment ago, there's nothing holding the dollar up. Uh, As I mentioned in After America, this is going back 12 years now, a 12-year-old book of mine, after America. And I said, at a certain point, the Chinese will decide it's time for America's sewers moment. You remember, uh, I laid it all because I'd um, had a rather long conversation with the late Countess of Avon, Clarissa Churchill, who was married to uh, the British Prime Minister, Sir Anthony Eden, and famously said that it felt as if the Suez Canal were flowing through her drawing room. And we had a long conversation about this, of course. The uh, French, the British, and the Israelis went in to prevent um, the Egyptian revolutionaries, the fellows who toppled King Farouk. That was another stupid CIA plot. Because uh, I'd give anything to have King Farouk's Egypt rather than what followed. But at any rate, NASA uh, had seized the Suez Canal and they went in, the British, the French and the Israelis, to take it back. And the Americans, having put NASA on King Farouk's throne, were not happy about it. And they basically uh, threatened a run on the pound in order that would break Britain bankrupt Britain, bring Britain to its knees. Now, this, by the way, this is 
allies, World War II allies, special relationship, but they were nevertheless willing to do that just to remind Britain who was now the top dog. Okay, and that's between friends, uh, supposedly. And the uh, and and eventually, uh, and and I would date that fairly precisely as the moment before then the british empire was a phrase that was still taken seriously all kinds of things like it was still called the empire games uh, it's now called the commonwealth games but it was still called the empire you could say the phrase british empire seriously in 1956 and after the what the yanks did over sewers it became a punchline and now it's a hate crime and uh, I said in After America, there's going to come a Suez moment for the United States because there's nothing holding up the U.S. dollar. Uh, and the only reason that the Chinese or the Saudis or the Chinese and the Saudis in alliance with the Russians, whoever you want to call it, name, haven't done it yet is because they haven't got agreement on what's coming next. But they'll sooner they all talk to each other. Uh, I was saying this on my conversation with James Dellingpole. The assumption outside the West, and you saw this over the, uh, you know, Ukrainian thing when they were saying oh, the whole world condemns Russia. And uh, then you suddenly notice that, in fact, it was just Europe and North America and that if you were in South Africa or Brazil or India, they would say, whoa, hold on a minute there. Don't sign me up for this thing. And, uh, and, and so at some point, these guys all talk to each other all the time, and at some point they will agree on what's coming next and they will put it into place. And at that point, you know, we're not talking then about what they're going to have to do to stop Chinese Communist Party money from fleeing the country. They're going to have to stop and talk about what they're going to do to prevent the bottom falling out and everybody fleeing the country. It's terrible, terrible times, this. Todd Hines says, Hi, Mark. This week, the Claremont Institute reported that a multitude of American corporations, from Walmart to MasterCard to Apple, have funneled a whopping $83 billion, billion with a B, to Black Lives Matter since 2020. This has to be the most effective shakedown racket of all time. Yeah, people, old school shakedown guys like uh, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton are just looking like nickel and dime nobodies now, aren't they? I thought BLM was a loose movement of sorts, but it is also a distinct organization that receives charitable donations. And where the heck did all that money go? $83 billion is some serious funding for a grassroots that's intent on tearing everything down. Yeah, if you think about it, 83 billion. Uh, it's not quite, but it's getting up there. It's close to 2 billion per state in the lower 48. Oh, let's, let's not round up, let's round down. It's over a billion and a half. It's basically a billion and a half for every American state and all the territories. Now, uh, you know, admittedly, I live in a small state, but if you were willing to spend a billion and a half dollars disrupting it and you had a billion and a half on hand, there isn't anything you couldn't wreck. There wouldn't be a stand, a statue standing. It would be plinths all the way from the Massachusetts border, empty plinths all the way from Nashua on the Massachusetts border to Pittsburgh up on the Quebec border. Uh, a billion and a half does a lot of damage. And this is what it is, Black Lives Matter. You know, what, is, what positive things does Black Lives Matter do? And yet, as you say, they got all these co woke corporations, Walmart, MasterCard, Apple, they all hate you. They hate you. You, Todd Hines, they hate all your friends, uh, and that is the only reason you would lavish a billion and a half dollars per state and territory on all these, uh, on, on Black Lives Matter. Absolutely stunning that they did that. The only thing I liked about it was that, uh, remember that day it was supposed to be the big Black Lives Matter when all the 
uh, stores on Fifth Avenue in New York all painted their storefronts uh, black, except for in tiny white lettering in the middle of the black window, uh, you know, we support hashtag Black Lives Matter. And they still got all their windows smashed in. <laughs> and they're still stupid enough to keep giving money to people who want to destroy them. That's also part of why there's nothing holding up the dollar. We're not practicing business in the sense that serious businessmen would practice it. We're So much of the life now is just striking attitudes. You go to college and you learn how to strike the correct attitudes. And then after that, you get a job in uh, at, say, uh, some fancy American corporation and you strike attitudes. And then you become uh, president of a bank. Uh, like the Silicon Valley Bank, and you're also striking attitudes. And then you decide you go to poli into politics and you'd like to become, uh, you know, foreign minister of Canada, and you just strike attitudes. Our entire civilization is striking attitudes, and that's one reason why we are kaput. Well, I... Uh, <laughs> that's my uh, big thought, as you can tell uh, I'm already uh, uh, running out of voice a bit so let's let me pause from the hell of the passing parade for a little music uh, today as we know is St Patrick's Day honoring the man who drove the snakes out of Ireland no I don't by snakes I don't mean Michel Barnier and his fellow EU bureaucrats this was an earlier breed of snake. Uh, they've yet to drive Monsieur Barnier and his EU bureaucrats out of the New Ireland. Um, the Emerald Isle, as I'm sure you know, has produced many fine songs, but it is my experience that the sentimental shamrock-hued Blarney, sung in honour of Ireland's Saint Day each year, tends to drive the non-Irish bonkers by about this stage of the St. Patrick's festivities. Nevertheless, I retain a fondness for this one because my dear old dad, my dear old dad from Greystones, which is just south of Dublin, uh, my dad liked to sing this to us kids on long <laughs> car journeys and inveigle us into singing along. It was written by uh, two music hall fellows, Ralph Stanley, who's English, and Sean Glenville, who's Irish. This version is by Ruby Murray, whom I had lunch with many years ago. Uh, Ruby was a Belfast lass, almost entirely forgotten now. But she was one of the biggest stars of her day. On March the 18th, 1955, she became the first performer to have five singles in the British hit parade in the same week. No one has ever beaten that record. And it took four decades before any other Shantuzi even matched it. That was Madonna. The best Madonna could manage was to tie with Ruby Murray. And I remember a rather pathetic headline in one of the tabloids the week that hap that happened, and it the, it was the front page headline: Madonna does a Ruby Murray, and then asterisks, uh, and at the bottom of the page, who? Well, Ruby Murray was a phenomenon from the Donegal Road in Belfast. And I know that there will be those of you who uh, find this song faintly irritating. But it's St. Patrick's Day, and we expect everyone... Look, we got all the drones, we got all the GPS, we got all the bugs in your cell phone, so we will know if there are any of you not singing along. All together now. If you're Irish, come into the parlor. There's a welcome there for you. And if your name is Timothy or Pat, so long as you come from Ireland, there's a welcome on the map. If you come from the mountains of Morn or Killarney's lake so blue, We'll sing you a song and make a fuss Whoever you are, you're one of us If you're Irish, this is the place for you
parlor there's a welcome there for you and if your name is timothy or pat so long as you come from ireland there's a welcome on the mat if you come from the mountains of Mong or killarney's lake so blue we'll sing you a song and make a fuss whoever you are you're one of us if you're irish this is the place for you wow one minute and 26 seconds but that's all ruby murray needs to implant an earworm that will be with you all day. What I find rather cunning about that song, Irish tune, English words, is that it sounds so jolly and communitarian, but it is not what we would today call inclusive. In fact, it's rather exclusive. Its basic message is, if you're not Irish, bugger off. Uh, The Irish have changed somewhat in the century since Messrs Glenville and Stanley wrote that. In some ways... They're by far the wokey-wokiest nation in Europe. Uh, But the nightly tide of quote-unquote refugees seems to be stressing that somewhat. And as you know, although not if you watch RTE or the BBC, there have been massive protests across the land under the banner Ireland is full, which is direct and to the point. The government and all the major political parties take the opposite view and insist that nothing shall impede the transformation of Ireland into just another cookie-cutter, multi diverse utopia. If you're not Irish, come into the parlour. Others are welcome there for you. If your name is Ahmed or Shahid, as long as you're not from Ireland, we'll supply your every need. If you come from Sudan or Somalia, or from Albania's toughest jails... We'll sing you a song, we'll make a fuss, so long as it's clear you're not one of us. If you're Irish, piss off and move to Wales. Ah, me. (laughs) We'll see where this Ireland is full campaign leads. But it's St Patrick's Day. And we can't really have under a minute and a half of sentimental blarney. So one more time. If you're Irish... Come into the parlor, there's a welcome there for you. If your name is Timothy or Pat, so long as you come from Ireland, there's a welcome on the mat. If you come from the mountains of Moor, our Kalani's legs so blue. We sing you a song, we make a fuss, whoever you are, you're one of us. If you're Irish, this is the place for you. My name is McNamara, I'm the leader of the band Although a small number, we're the finest in the land We play at wakes and winds and every country ball And when we play at funerals, we play the best of all All the drums go banging, the cymbals clanging, the horns they blaze away The county pass, the old bassoon, while dial the pipes to play Tennessee, Tennessee, toodles the flute and the music is something grand Credit to the Lion Boys is Mac Namara's band. With me shillelagh under me arm and a twinkle in me eye, I'm off to Tipperary in the morning. With me shillelagh under me arm and a two-a-loo-la I'll be welcoming the home where I was born. Me mother told the neighbors I'm gonna settle down. Phil the flute is coming out to play me round the town With me shillelagh and the beyond and the tooralooralai I'll be welcoming the home where I was born in Now Hannigan was an Irishman, he came from Erin's Isle He was a rogue who had a brogue you hear for half a mile When Hannigan gave a hoon, he sure the news soon got about and you may be a stranger if you're passing by, he'll shout. Come into the parlor, boy, you'll make yourself at home. Come into the parlor, sure you won't be on your own. There's Mick McGee, there's Rafferty, there's Murphy and Muldoon. They say 
McGilligan starters and all the taste of water. There's cakes of stuff to stick in there's good for half the town. There's bottles of the protein if you want to wash it down. So if you're Irish, you're sure of a welcome. For there's a holy on in Elliot's house tonight. If you're Irish, come into the parlor. There's a welcome there for you. And if your name is Timothy or Pat, so long as you come from Ireland, there's a welcome on the mat. Fuss, whoever you are, you one of us. If you're Irish, this is the place for you. They say McGilligan's daughter doesn't know the taste of water. Uh, That was Sean Dunphy, and okay, that's it. I'm Irish now. We shall have an entirely different kind of song to close out St. Patrick's Day a uh, little later. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It is 24 minutes to nine in the Emerald Isle and uh, something either a little further ahead or a little ways behind wherever you are. Let's get back to your questions on our Q&A. Michael Ainsley, MD, writes, Mark, Ofcom's loss is our game. Uh, is our gain. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. By loss, I'm thinking of when they lose in court. But uh, by loss, you mean they've managed to take me off UK telly. As an old paediatrician and paediatric endocrinologist, I'm dismayed for two things in my not-so-honourable profession anymore. First is the use of the COVID vaccines in children who certainly don't need it. And second, for hormone treatments and surgical mutilation of children who aren't capable of making informed decisions for themselves. I've used puberty blockers for years in those with true precocious puberty. I take it that means... Uh, you know, that occasionally you get a six-year-old or whatever who's showing signs of going through puberty, and that is something you want to put up for a bit. Um, But uh, Michael says he's never used it for sex reassignment in older adolescents. There is a big difference in the medical needs of both groups. Well, I think it goes back to what is fast becoming the theme, is that we are the bad guys, um, and it goes back to that Putin speech. Uh, Putin in his in his speeches often refers to the decadence of the West uh, because he sits there and, you know, he thinks, well, wait a minute, why am I getting all the bad press? I'm not the guy slicing the breasts off middle school girls. We talked about this with uh, Ava, Leilani and Alexandra on the Mark Stein show on Wednesday. And uh, it is something out of uh, evil, the most evil horror stories. I mean, if you think of real horror stories before the awful crap of Sesame Street made, you know, made monster. What's he called that? The cookie monster. The deem- I-, I wrote something about this many years ago. The demonstification of childhood, you know, um, because I loathe Sesame Street. I think it's utter crap from top to toe. And I'm very glad my kids had no interest in Barney the Dinosaur and all that uh, Big Bird and all the other rubbish. But the worst one is the cookie monster. So a monster is just someone who wants cookies. You know, if you look at the monsters in um, in old medieval fairy tales they were real monsters and they teach children at an early age that there are monsters out there but the monsters now aren't like the big bad wolf or the little old lady in the cottage in Hansel and Gretel the monsters are your teachers and your doctors uh, so that instead of saying, oh, you know, if, oh, well, I, I like I, I'm a little girl, but I want to dress up in my brother's clothes uh, and uh, play with G.I. Joe. And instead of saying, yeah, do what you want. It's a phase. You'll soon be over it. They say, uh, OK, that's great. We're going to put you on puberty blockers. We're going to slice your breasts off, blah, blah, blah. Evil. We are the evil ones. And our society in some very basic ways is 
evil uh, in doing this to children. Then again, we get to the I can't even get why this is still a thing in the United States. The United States is still jabbing moppets. As a, as a, as a, we've remorselessly catalogued since the first Scandinavian country began restricting these awful things back in the summer, you know, where uh, first it was uh, they, weren't, they weren't going to recommend these vaccines to anyone. I think it was Denmark, Sweden, Norway, one of them. One going to recommend these things to anybody under 18, then it became anybody under 50, then it became anybody under 65. And now uh, France and the UK are following similar uh, trajectories. Only America is still saying, oh, jab your kids. Look, I'll make a point because Michael Ainsley is a doctor, so he knows this. You can't give informed consent to a, whether you're seven or 107, you can't give informed consent uh, if your doctor is not informed about the procedure he's going to give you. And all, what all the victims that we've had on our show have told me at some point in the conversation is that their doctors and nurses knew nothing about these things. They were just doing what they were told by bureaucrats, and the bureaucrats were doing what they were told by the government. And when things go wrong and they started getting myocarditis or Guillain-Barre syndrome or Ramsey, what is it, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, the thing that Justin Bieber's got, and they went back to those same doctors and nurses in those same hospitals, all those fellas said, oh, well, I don't really know anything about I suppose it might. Maybe it's the vaccine. I don't really know. Uh, the, we don't have any uh, information on that, but maybe I can go Googling on the dark web and find some guy who's been struck off who knows what's going on. You can't give informed consent when your doctor isn't informed. And that was one of the big problems with these vaccines. And uh, as to the mutilation of a you know, I, I always say this, and I hate to always be saying the same thing over and over, but the only really contented transsexuals, as we used to say, that I ever knew were were in showbiz to one, for one kind or another, because you're living a life in a kind of heightened reality anyway. So uh, uh, deciding you're a girl and dressing up in sequins and feather boas and everything isn't isn't that big a deal. Everybody else, whatever problems you've got going for you, slicing your breasts off and becoming infertile, uh, generally speaking, doesn't make things any better. These are monsters. Like I said, the monsters, the monsters aren't the big bad wolf. The monsters aren't the little old lady who wants to put Hansel and Gretel in a cake and bake them and eat them. The monsters are these children's own doctors and teachers. Horrible. Uh, John Fatchy says, hey, Mark. Hey, John. Uh, hey, Mark. I believe DeSantis's COVID record trumps Trump's COVID record. I think if Trump keeps prodding that Florida gator, He's not prepared for what he will get. I was as big a Trump supporter as anyone. I want one more term for Trump and two for DeSantis, and I want DeSantis to keep Florida on our side. But if I have to choose, I pick the one that did not subject me to the Fauci regime. Trump abdicated his power to the most toxic mosquito in the swamp. Trump needs to show vulnerability. He needs to win people over. He needs to apologize to George W. Bush for the WMDs because he got rolled with COVID like Bush got rolled with WMDs from the same faceless experts and professionals that have run our civilization into the ground. He should run with Tulsi Gabbard and get on Joe Rogan to win that audience. Trump needs to do more, work harder and get out of his comfort zone. We need honesty on our side. And it's OK to criticize Trump from a friendly place. Um, uh, just par pardon me, I just need to take a sip. Of, I've got um, uh, my voice is failing, as you can 
uh, probably here, and I regret having to do that. I can't find the mute button that we would normally press on such occasion. That's how chaotic things are. It's just me and uh, two cats and a dog here in the studio, and the two cats are chewing away all the <laughs> soundproofing, so I'll probably sound like I'm in an echo chamber in another 20 minutes. Um, let me... Let me back that up a bit, John. Uh, and as you know, I said this, uh, I think it was the day he left office. I think it was the sh either the show we had on the day he left office or the next one. So it's over two years ago now. That Trump's problem is trying to stay relevant. Um, DeSantis is relevant because he's running a state. He's running... Uh, He's running something. And Trump, by comparison, isn't running anything except his mouth at the moment. And so that inevitably diminishes a fellow when you're the chief executive and then you're basically outside the reins of government just, you know, critiquing it. That That's a basic problem. And that would be a problem if he was a Republican, if he was a Democrat, whatever he is. It's not a. I'm not making here a political point. I'm not making a never Trumper type point. I'm not making any kind of point other than saying it's difficult to stay relevant, even if you're talking about the fabulous Trump. You know, it was easier for Grover Cleveland because we didn't have a mass media hyper present tense culture where stuff from two, three years ago is ancient history for a lot of people. So he has that problem. You could solve that problem. You, you could solve that problem if you, uh, if you thought about it and if you decided what you were going to be for the second act. Trump is basically like some old rock band that's just going around doing its greatest hits. And that's fine. There'll always be a market for that. But if you want to uh, have some new hits, the, 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 the way you do it, just going around, I saw some guy from Def Leppard. Do you remember Def Leppard? Uh, they were big in the 80s, uh, and they had a big hit with Rock of Ages, which was not the hymn of the same name, as I recall. But some guy from Def Leppard, <laughs> he had to go and have a cigarette. You know, this is he was staying at the Four Seasons somewhere in Florida. So you imagine what he's paying. Uh, but they make you go and stand outside on the sidewalk to have a smoke. So he went outside to have a smoking break and uh, like Nigel Farage does, actually, at uh, GB News. And while he was standing on the sidewalk outside the Four Seasons, some punk comes along and beats him up. Uh, and if you if you're a fan of Def Leppard, uh, you you maybe like the fact that they just play the stuff they did in the 80s and they're not wasting your time with any kind of new album. But the Def Leppard model doesn't work in politics. It really doesn't. So Trump needs something new. I've said this all along, and he's surrounded by, frankly, terrible people. It was because he was surrounded by the time of the 2020 election, he was surrounded by terrible people. You remember that the idiot who ran his campaign who got a beach house or whatever it was out of it and a couple of Ferraris. But Trump lost. Trump didn't get anything out of hiring that guy. He didn't get anything. Uh, all the people who, you know, there were some people who were with him from the get-go. I'm not talking about myself, but I am talking about Ann Coulter, uh, that he dumped because bigger people like Sean Hannity and Mark Levin started flattering him. So he ha hung out with them, and as a result, he's, sit he's been sitting in Mar-a-Lago for two years. The rallies aren't going to do it for him. Th th those rallies, that's the Def Leppard tour. I can't believe this. I haven't talked about Def Leppard since I was a disc jockey in the 80s, and now I'm saying Def Leppard more times today than I have done <laughs> in the last 40 years. Uh, but the, the Def Leppard model is not going to work for Trump. Trump, if Trump really wants to be Grover Cleveland of the 21st century, he, he needs not to be surrounded by these guys. Uh, and that's unfortunately the case. 
Toby Pilling says Rod Little suggested that all BBC employees should be allowed to view their personal opinions on Twitter and the like, not just Gary Lineker. If you're not British, this Gary Lineker is a footballer who does the commentary on uh, Match of the Day, which is the big footy show on the BBC, and he compared the British government policy to on immigration to that of the Nazis. So, in other words... Britain, uh, the the British government is being like, I don't even understand that, this, because the British government is doing nothing to stop a thousand Albanians. Ten percent of the population of Albania has moved in a very few years to the United Kingdom. I don't know. You know, he's just a moron, Gary Lineker. There's nothing to do with Nazis in that. There weren't a lot of 10 percent of the population of anywhere didn't want to break into uh, Nazi Germany. No one was trying to get into Nazi Germany. So all Gary Gary Lineker's saying, uh, I guess, you know, his point is that the British government is treating these Albanians like the German government treated the Jews. Because we all know that the uh, German government liked to put Jews up in five-star country house hotels uh, all over the map and let them order room service, complimentary room service, all day long. The Germans were notorious for doing that to Jews. And it was brutally cruel, just putting them up in these five-star hotels and saying, order all the matzo balls you want from room service, it's on us. And that's what Hitler did, and that's why posterity reviles him. Uh, And what uh, Hitler did to the Jews... His Britannic Majesty's government is now doing to the Albanians. That was the point that Gary Lineker was making. And uh, I I don't know why we should. And GB News spent uh, spent the last fortnight talking about it and hardly. They briefly stopped talking about Harry and Meghan to talk about Gary Lineker. And uh, I. I don't see I well there are two separate things here there's Gary Lineker a man so stupid that the only historical analogy he knows is the Nazis okay so as I said uh, when everyone's a Nazi nobody's a Nazi and as I said whatever it was 20 years ago in the future everyone will be Hitler for 15 minutes and so it has proved And the fact is, now Rishi Sunak is Hitler. And uh, so that doesn't tell me anything about the license fee. The license fee that everyone has to pay in order to fund the BBC. I think the BBC is rubbish these days. The BBC, uh, I I used to, when I would visit London, I used to wake up and put on Radio 3, the classical station, just because... I found it soothing and relaxing in the morning. And the justification for um, funding uh, that through the license fee is is that's high art, that the market would not... The market will support Def Leppard, but it won't support uh, a serious classical station. The classical station is complete uh, crap now. And I say this as someone... Uh, I used to occasionally get on Radio 3, on the BBC Classical Station, and then I saw a copy of a memo someone had sent saying that they thought I was way too down market for Radio 3. That was the old Radio 3. Now I'm too up market for the new Radio 3. It's awful. It's moronic. It's vulgar garbage. I don't even want to get onto the other channels. So the fact of the matter is, these are these. The BBC doesn't do enough to justify a poll tax on the British public anymore, and I'm concerned about you know the loss of our artistic and cultural inheritance. That's why I do Sunday poems and tales for our time and all the rest of it and song of the week i'm concerned you know song of the week is basically the kind of show that would have been on radio 2 30 years ago and which you couldn't get on radio 2 or radio 3 or radio 4 now so the bbc i'm in favor of the uh license fee being abolished because it doesn't uh we don't get what they're doing for it now simon arnold says hi mark what do you think about all the outrage in france regarding the pension age rise raise 
by my phone. Yeah, I forget what it is now. <laughs> I made a joke that people took. I think I said a couple of days ago, yeah, he's proposing to raise the French retirement age from 45 to 47. And people weren't too sure whether I was joking or being serious. But we're kind of in the ballpark there. Um, the, the interesting thing is what the French do. The, the French di direct action by the French when they put farmers and, and lorry drivers, truck drivers in the streets, they bring the major cities to a halt. Um, they get results. You know, nothing's going to change by voting. Black Lives Matter. You know, Black Lives Matter. What did they do? Did they elect anybody? No. They went and burned down all these Democrat cities. And the next thing you know, all these corporations have given them whatever it was, $85 billion. You know, that's how you get results. That's how you get results. And um, I, I regret to say this because I don't think you should have to do that. It should be enough to just go along once every few years and mark your X next to the candidate. But you can do that and they'll still screw you over. So I think we're, we're approaching the stage where actually the, the, the France, one of the reasons France uh, is, uh, is as a protectionist as it is, is because occasionally they'll, a government will be elected that says it's going to change this and it's going to change that. And then all these guys get in the street and uh, force the government to back down. And there's a lesson that the right might uh, might learn from that. It shouldn't have to learn it, but that's the kind of world we live in now. Damien Carberry says, Good morning from sunny Sydney. It's post-St. Patrick's Day in Sydney. And he goes, I wonder what you think about the AUKUS subs program. <laughs> this is the one where they totally screwed over the French because the Australians had a deal to buy some submarines from France. And uh, then this new alliance came along. AUKUS stands for Australia, United Kingdom, United States. It's going to cost a trillion dollars by the time the dust settles in a decade or more likely to. I'm quite misty-eyed about a British return to the Far East. Ah, yes. Ship me somewhere east the sewers. Where the best is like the worst, where there ain't no Ten Commandments, and a man can raise a thirst. Uh, yeah, Australia. Are there any Ten Commandments in Australia these days? Anyway, Damien uh, says, I'm quite misty-eyed about a British return to the Far East, but wouldn't we be better off spending the trillion bucks decoupling and sending the CCP, the Communist uh, Chinese Communist Party, broke. Yeah, I uh, I think you're uh, I think you're right on on that. Uh, we would be. I mean, the cost of decoupling. You you would need fewer subs if uh, you were to diminish the power of China and diminishing the power of China. You know, AUKUS begins to look just a lot like the usual military-industrial complex racket on arithmetic than that. We worked out, I gave the numbers on what it would cost to decouple from China, and it's peanuts, certainly compared to buying those submarines. Um, and it would be... and and it, And... You won't be able to afford the submarines you need if you let China go on rising. Uh, Scott Scherzer says, Dear Mark, while anyone with a modicum of sense knows that we're on the verge of the final stage of Western civilization, I've yet to hear anyone come up with a serious plan on how to put the brakes on, never mind reversing course. Do you have any ideas or are we past the point of no return? Looking forward to sharing some quality time. With other club members on the July cruise, as the saying goes, misery loves company. Oh, you're going to love it, Scott. Everybody likes the camaraderie on the Mark Stein cruise sailing this July from Trieste. Um, let me back up a bit and attach your point to what Damien was saying from Sydney. Um, there are things, decoupling from China is something we can do and is actually one of the few things we can afford to do, whereas it's not clear that spending a trillion dollars 
on submarines uh, actually is affordable and whether uh, even if you can afford it, it's going to do anything. So I would say if you want something that we should be doing, decoupling, you are not, we're not going to like. Right now, uh, the American moment from 1950, when America became the dominant power of the post-war world, it's over. We're running on fumes and we're not going to like what comes next. So doing our bit to diminish what comes next is uh, pretty important. And decoupling from China is affordable, easily affordable, except for the fact that, oh, Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Hunter Biden, Justin Trudeau, Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, you, your politician here, are all in the bag of China. And that is one of the big problems. As you can hear, my voice is uh, almost out. Uh, but we'll have a little bit of music to close out St. Patrick's Day. It's not often that we reprise a performance in this spot. But 14 months back, this got more reaction than an awful lot of the things we play. Uh, it's from an album sent to me by a listener in Mid-Ulster. And in fact, it's his daughter's album. The song is by Dr. Arthur Callahan, who was raised in Galway and then joined the Royal Army Medical Corps and got badly mustard gassed in the Great War. And decades later, after another world war, he was sitting at his home in the English Midlands and pining for the Galway he loved. So he decided to write a song about it. And I suppose it belongs with To Ralu Ralu Rule, and when Irish eyes are smiling in the category of Tin Pan Alley Irish. But if you're used to hearing it bald boozily in pubs, well, this lovely version makes it very real and utterly sincere. Rhoda Barfoot. Dear land across the island. 
title song from Miss Rhoda Barfoot's beautiful album Across the Sea to Ireland. I did go across the sea to Ireland uh, a few months back and did the show from Enniskillen and I thought it would be rather nice to have Rhoda on live singing and playing. She plays the Celtic fiddle and the piano and all kinds of things but I think she was in uh, Switzerland or somewhere at the time so I thought oh well maybe we'll get her on the Christmas show. Uh, But by the time Christmas rolled around, I was laid up in France recuperating from my heart attacks. But one day, I promise, we will have her on. Rhoda Barfoot. The album is called Across the Sea to Ireland. Always like that third verse by Dr. Callahan. For the strangers came and tried to teach us their ways. That is definitely, definitely a reference to Michel Barnier and his chums at the European Commission. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Bonus trivia, who's Ireland's other patron saint? That would be the comparatively obscure St. Columba. If you go to our Sunday poems page, uh, you can watch me doing a video poem about St. Columba. Uh, Rick McGuinness's Saturday movie date, Tal Backman on Sunday, and more of the Mark Stein Show on Monday, all coming up at Stein Online. Here's Miss Barfoot to play us out. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, in sunshine or in shadow. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.